0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. MLBC is led by Pastor Dennis Fountain and exists to help real people going through real life experience real change through our incredible God. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. When I want to ask you a question. Take your Bibles if you would. First, let's open up to Luke chapter number 7. Luke chapter 7 today, we're continuing our study, Encountering Christ looking at the possibilities of a life with Jesus. And uh, we're going to get into the passage today here in just a moment. But I wanna ask you this question. Have you ever had a time in life when you felt completely lost and completely lost and completely alone? I'm talking about maybe a time in your life physically when you were lost, when you were alone. But I'm also talking about times in life When you feel that the situations that you are going through, the circumstances that you are facing, have you ever been at a time when you felt, no one understands me, no one knows what I'm facing, no one knows the hurt of my heart, no one knows where I'm at? You ever been there? We all have. We've all been there at a time in our life when we feel, the statement is, we feel like an island unto ourselves. We feel that we are the only person in this entire world, in this entire United States of the the population we just saw a minute ago, 340 million people, 344 million people. Out of all of those people, I am the only person. No one gets me, no one knows me, no one understands me. We've all been there. I'm reminded of a story And uh, we met Josh Skelly this morning. The story actually is about his father, Pastor Kurt Skelly, uh, a few years ago. Of course, Pastor Kurt preaches our Ignite Youth Rally. That's in just, um, man, is it two weeks away? Just, Pastor Rob, it's two weeks away, and Pastor Kurt will be here. But uh, Pastor Kurt owns Land of the Bible tours, which we do our Israel tours through. And I remember in 2019, I had been to Israel once. And in 2019, I was gonna go over to Israel and be with Pastor Kurt to learn how to lead a tour. Uh, That way we could take our own groups. And so we arranged the whole thing and I was gonna travel by myself to, uh, to Israel and then I was gonna meet up with the group. And I, it all, listen, the trip went downhill from the moment, it was actually, many of you remember this, the Saturday night before I left is the night that our church got broken into. Some of you were here and remember that. We had like $12,000 worth of damage. They stole computers. They stole Pastor Brian and Samantha's car. I don't know if any of you remember this, 2019. That was the night before I left for Israel. So the next night, I was getting a, um, a friend, Pastor, or Pastor, Brother uh, Rod Siebers gave me a ride over to the West Side, dropped me off at a hotel. Four o'clock in the morning, I get up. I go to the airport, SeaTac Airport, and I go, get all checked in. I get to my flight, and It's canceled. And they're like, "We're sorry, we can't get you to Israel for 3 days." Oh my 3 days. Oh, well, maybe we can do it in 2. And I'm like, "Well, I'm going to miss I'm going to, what's the point of me going if I'm missing the first few days? I've got to learn this." And long story short, they rerouted me. They got me going to LA and from LA to Istanbul, Istanbul to Israel. I got into Israel at midnight into Tel Aviv. I, by this time, I had missed meeting up with the group, but Kurt had said to me, Dennis, it's easy. Once you get there, listen, once you get there, just catch a cab. And I was supposed to get from Tel Aviv to Netanya and meet them. It's about an hour and 45 minute drive or so, depending upon traffic. Well, I got there. The airplane airlines had lost my bag. Didn't have my bag. I had two changes of clothes in my backpack. I was like, all right, we'll make do. So it's midnight. I've missed the group. I go out, there's no taxis. like, all right, what do I do? My cell phone wasn't working, no cell service. I I just, in the moment. So I went to a security guard and I said to the security guard, hey, I need to get to Natanya. And he laughed. And I thought, my friend Kurt said it's easy. And I remember this security guard laughed and he said to me, okay, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna walk out of the main entrance and out of the parking lot of the airport. After you get completely clear of the airport, turn right. I said, okay. He was like, you're gonna be walking down. It'll seem like a dark alley. At the end of that dark alley, he said, you're gonna find a bus. The bus driver's name, and he gave me this bus driver's name. Tell him that I sent you. And he told me his name. And I was like, what's that gonna do? He said, he'll help you. It's midnight, my phone's not working. By now, it's about 1 a.m. I got my backpack, I left the airport. It was my, this is only my second, and I've been, I've been to Israel more times now. Now I know I could do it. But then, second time, I was scared to death. And sure enough, I cleared the airport. I turned right to go down, and he was, he was spot on. It was a dark alleyway, and there was no street lamps, and I'm just looking, and I'm thinking, he sent me to get mugged. (laughs) The security guard that I thought I could trust and I start walking, I turned a little, made a little turn around a bend and I saw at the end, I saw this bus with one street lamp. And you know those like, you know, many of you know like the, the scary movies and this person's walking in the dark and there's one lamp and a group of people and you're like, don't do it, don't walk over there. That's what I was saying in my head to myself. Like, don't do it, just go sleep at the airport and figure it out in the morning. I'm like, no, I got this. And I'm walking and I start slowing down thinking, I don't got this. And I get closer and I walk up and it's, in the, it's that moment where everybody goes quiet and they turn and look at the stranger approaching with the thought, what are you doing here? They look at me. And I'm like, hey, uh, in English is, you know, whoever the driver's name is, Amir here? And they're like, on the bus. I'm like, I'm gonna die. (laughs) They don't speak English. I'm in a dark place. I go to Amir, the bus driver, and I say, "Um, you know, your friend sent me to you. At first, I said, I need to get to Natanya, and he just laughed. And then I said, well, the security guard, your friend, he sent me, and he went, oh, okay. I'm like, I'm definitely dying. (laughs) He said, get on the bus. He was like, we're gonna drive for about 45 minutes. When we do, he said, when we stop, he was like, it is not a bus stop. It is the street. You will have to quickly get out and I'll tell you what to do. I'm like, okay. At this point, what do I have to lose except for my life, you know? And so I with my backpack, I'm sitting in the back and everybody's, you know, they're all talking and they're talking in Hebrew and Arabic and all this and I don't understand a word and he pulls up and he just yells, Natanya, which I know that's me. I'm now Natanya, so I get up and I go up there and he's like, listen, go down those stairs. I look, it's another alley with stairs, no, like nothing. And I'm like, okay, what do I do down there? He's like, you'll see the train station. Just walk to this train station and get the bus or get the train to Natanya. I was like, how will I know? He's like, you'll know, you'll know, get off. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I get off and that bus leaves and I'm like, All right. So I trek down those stairs, or that out down the alleyway. Trek down the stairs. Sure enough, there's the train station. All the signs are in Hebrew. (laughs) Finally, I find the English uh, translation of it, and I find my right train. I get on that train. I'm. It's by now. It's about 2:45 in the morning. I get off at my stop, and the bus driver had told me, when you get off at the next, at that, at your stop, you're gonna walk down another alleyway, (laughs) look for a taxi. So I get off on this stop. I have no idea where I am. I walk up some stairs, and I'm in, I'm in, like, I'm in one of those parking lots where there's broken down cars. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm walking into a junkyard, dogs are going to eat me now. <laughs> and by now, it's 3.45, 3.30 in the morning, a taxi pulls over. I'm like, I need to get to such and such hotel in the Tanya. And he's like, all right, jump in. And he gets me and takes me to the hotel. I get to the hotel 4 a.m. I walk in my room. And I sat down in the room. And I, I mean, I was not, I was just nervous. I was shaking. I finally sat down. And in that moment, that was the first time in the 38 hours that I was traveling. In that moment was the first time that I felt peace. And here's what was happening as I was walking through every alleyway, you know what I was thinking? I'm alone. No one knows where I am. No one, my phone's not on. They can't find my phone. I'm gonna die. And in in a physical sense, and being all honest, in a physical sense, I felt so alone and so lost. You perhaps have been there physically, physically, But I can guarantee you that every single one of us have been there emotionally, spiritually, and psychologically. We feel like we're walking in an alley. No one knows where we are. No one knows what's going on. This morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to work our way through the passage. We're actually going to see four stories. We're going to learn four lessons But we're going to wrap all of it up today in this statement, and I want you to remember this statement, because if you forget this statement, the message, it won't make sense to you. But the statement I want to start with and end with today is simply this, that Jesus knows where you are, he cares where you are, and he knows exactly what you need. You see, in life, we have those moments when we feel alone, we feel lost, we feel neglected, we feel misunderstood. But here's what I'm just going to lay out today that we will see as a common theme in all of these stories is the fact that no matter where you are, Jesus knows where you are. He cares about that place that you are at in life, and he desires to meet the need of your heart. Jesus knows exactly what you need. We started it right at the beginning of uh, the entire service. I would be foolish to get up and pretend like I know what our church needs. I don't know your heart. I may know the surface level you. Hey, how's your week been? Oh, you know, pastor, it's been kind of rough. Man, pray for this. I may know the surface level you, and you may know the surface level me, and, and we may even have a little bit of a deeper friendship, but the truth is none of us know each other's heart in here. We don't know the hurt. We don't know how we're processing things. We don't know what trials or situations have happened this week. We don't know about that phone call. We don't know about that Facebook message. We don't know about the doctor's report. We don't know about the financial situation, but no matter what is going on in your life, he knows and he cares. And today he desires to meet the need of your heart. Four stories, four lessons all wrapped up in this principle. Let's see it together. Luke chapter seven, if you would stand with me. Luke chapter seven, we're just going to bounce around for just a minute, okay? So as we read these verses, you're going to think, how do these all connect? What are these The verses we're going to read are just the start of our four stories, so I want you to kind of have a picture view of what we're looking at today. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse number 1, it says this, Now when he, Jesus, had ended all his sayings. Remember, we just finished that long portion of Scripture where Jesus is preaching a message, all right? The Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain. Jesus has just preached this message. Now he's coming back into the city of Capernaum. He ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, and he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant, who was dear unto him, to that centurion, was sick and ready to die. First story is the story of a centurion and his servant. Second story, skip down to verse number 11. And it came to pass the day after that he, Jesus, went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and much people... Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. Second story is the story of a mom and her deceased son. Third story, verse 19. And John, John the Baptist, John the baptizer, Jesus' cousin. John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus. Saying, questioning, art thou he that should come, or look we for another? When the men were come unto him, they said, John the Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, art thou he that should come, or look we for another? First story, story of a centurion and his servant. Second story, story of a widow and her son. Third story, the story of John the Baptist sitting in a jail cell. Fourth story, verse verse number 30. But the Pharisees... And the lawyers, they rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. Speaking of the baptism of John the Baptist and how they didn't believe in John, the fourth story is a story of the Pharisees, the lawyers, the religious leaders of the day. Four stories, four different points that we're going to get. But where we're going to end is the same place we started, and that is the simple statement that wherever you are, God knows it, he cares, and he desires to meet the need of your heart in that place. Let's learn that together today. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into his word. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you take just a minute, and would you pray and ask the Lord to speak to you? You can pray something simple of, dear God, please speak to me today. Please speak into my life today. And then if you would, would you make a commitment that God, if you speak to me, I'm listening to you today. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for today. I pray that you'd help us. God, I pray that you'd help every single need that is here. I pray that you'd help us to see the solution To our needs is you and your word. And God, I pray that as we go through this passage, that you would use the stories and the principles before us to speak into and help each and every one of us. I do pray and ask you, Lord, if there is someone with us today, whether they be in person or online, they don't know if heaven is where they would spend eternity, I pray that today would be the day they put their faith and trust completely in you. We love you, God, and we thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Four stories, four lessons. Let's let's get those quickly and then we'll get our challenge and be done for today. Luke chapter seven. Of course, if you recall, those of you that have been with us in our series, let's remember this thought. Luke is writing, of course, Luke chapter number one to Theophilus, a ruler. He is writing to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. How does he do this? Well, he talks about the birth of Jesus, the family heritage of Jesus, the deity of Jesus. He has spoken about the work or the miracle of Jesus Christ. But lately, we've been on the authority of the word of Jesus Christ, and Luke writing to say, Jesus is the Messiah, and his word proves it. We're going to see that kind of continue as a theme in Luke chapter number seven. But let's catch our stories. Luke chapter seven, beginning in verse number one, it says this. Verse one down through verse number 10. We read it a minute ago, but let's get the story. Now when he had ended all his saying in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum a, and a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he, the centurion, heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews beseeching him, begging Jesus that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they, the leaders of the Jews, besought him, begged Jesus instantly saying that he, the centurion, was worthy for whom Jesus should do this because he loves our nation and he built us a synagogue. Then Jesus, he went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sends a second group. He sends friends to Jesus saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter Under my roof, wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. Because I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, go and he goeth, and to another, come and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard these things, verse nine, he marveled at him, and turned him about and Jesus, he turns to the people and he says to them that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, they found the servant whole that had been sick. The story of a centurion. A centurion would be a military leader for the nation of Rome. This would be somebody that would be stationed at a particular site that would be kind of the commander uh, for that location, century, centurion, leader of 100. That would be the minimum that that this Roman centurion would be a leader of. Uh, He is Roman. He is not a Jew. And yet in the passage, what do we find? In the passage, we find him, this Roman, hearing about Jesus. He has a sick servant, no doubt, perhaps a Jew as well. And so because of this, he desires for his servant to somehow come in contact with Jesus. Somehow I want my servant to meet Jesus because I believe that Jesus can heal him. And so here's what's interesting about our story. And again, all four stories, we're not going to dive deep into them. We're just going to kind of get a surface uh, um, view of them today. But the centurion sends his Jewish elders... Now, I don't know if you remember our stories we've been talking about the last few weeks, those of you that have been here, but most Jews hated the Romans at this time. Why? Because they're under that Roman rule, and they're under that Roman subjugation, and we know that they were wanting freedom. But in Capernaum, it was a little bit different. The Roman centurion had the respect of the Jewish elders, the Jewish leaders, so these Jewish leaders, they travel, they go to Jesus, and they, they beg Jesus. Jesus, come, to this centurion, this Roman, he's worthy of you working in his life because he cares for us. He's built us a synagogue. They say of this centurion that he was worthy of it. He doesn't want his servant to die. He's worthy of you working. I love what one man said about the centurion. He said, the centurion was not a stoic who insulated himself from the pain of others. He had a heart of concern, even for his lowly servant boy who was dying from a paralyzing disease, which you find in Matthew 8, 6. So what happens in the story? Well, they come to Jesus, Jesus turns, and he's, the, the Bible tells us he's going to the house. And in that moment, perhaps the centurion looking out his front door, maybe he's pacing on his porch, wondering if the elders are gonna get through to Jesus, wondering if he's gonna come, but he sees a, a group of people coming, and, and he thinks to himself, I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy to even ask this of this man. I'm unworthy for him to be in my house. Hey, you guys, go, go, tell him, go tell him not to come to the house. Tell him I'm not worthy. Listen, just tell him to speak the words. Because I too, I, I have authority. I say to a soldier, go and come, and they go and they come. I say, do this, and they do this. And he sends word, and they get to Jesus. They repeat what they've been sent to say in verse number nine. Verse 9 says that Jesus marveled at his faith. The story of the centurion and his soldier could teach us many principles, but the one I find this morning, the lesson I see this morning is this, that Jesus admires faith. The word marvels in verse number 9 when it says he heard these things, that he marveled at him, it means to admire. It means to look at and to applaud and to approve, to commend And Jesus says, I have not found so great a faith. No, not in Israel. Now, here's what's interesting to me. This centurion, he was a Gentile. What does that mean? He didn't believe in Jehovah God. He was a Roman. He was pagan. And yet, he believes in the power of Jesus. Now, don't miss what he says when he speaks and says, Jesus, don't worry about coming to my house. Just speak the word. What is he saying? Jesus, I believe that your word has all authority. I mean, I too am a person of authority. I can command soldiers. Jesus, you command everything. Speak, and the disease will be gone. So remember, this centurion bringing our attention to this. I believe in the authority of your word, Jesus. As I think about the lessons in this passage, I would say that Jesus still admires faith. Did you know that today that the Bible teaches in many places that Jesus, God still desires to bless faith? I think of Matthew 21 Jesus said all these things, whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. I think of other places in scripture where we're commanded to ask, to seek, to knock. What is that? That is to believe that Jesus can do it. We say this often that we look at the Old Testament or we look even at the New Testament and we think, yeah, that was good for them, but that's not good for me. Hey, the same miracle-working God that we read about from Matthew all the way to Revelation, the same miracle-working God from Genesis all the way to the end of the Old Testament, listen, the same God is the God you serve today. And we can come to him believing that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I think of James chapter number one. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Hey, ask believing, knowing that your God has the authority to work in your life. I see that Jesus still admires faith, but the second lesson I learned from this is this that if the centurion can trust Jesus, we can certainly trust him. Hey, you know what the centurion didn't have? He didn't have the written word of God. You know what the centurion didn't have? He didn't have 2,000 years to look back and say, God worked. You know what the centurion didn't have? He didn't have the testimony of hundreds of other people that have said, hey, look what Jesus has done in my life. He had maybe the testimony of six or eight or 12 people. And if he could believe in the authority of God, man, we have so many more reasons. Hey, in this room alone are more reasons than what he had. We won't take the time to do it, but we could go around the the room this morning and say, how has God worked in your life? And we could hear from dozens of people to say, man, God worked in this miraculous way. Man, God blessed my faith. Man, even when God answered a prayer request the way that I didn't want him to, my faith was blessed and God worked. Story number one, it's the story of a centurion and his servant. The lesson is that God admires faith. Story number two, go with me to verse number 11. It came to pass that the day after, the next day, that he, Jesus, went into a city called Nain, a city nearby. And many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came nigh into the gate of the city, behold, there was a, a dead man carried out. He was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said unto her, "Weep not." And he came and touched the bear, and they that bare him, the, the pallbearers, stood still. And Jesus said, "Young man, I say unto thee, arise." And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And Jesus delivered him to his mother, and there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying, That a great prophet has risen up among us and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and through all the regions round about. And the disciples of John showed him, John, all of these things. We read here the story of a grieving mother. She's just lost her only son. Jesus makes his way and as he comes into the city, Coming out of the city is a procession, a funeral procession. Now, something interesting about their funerals, we don't do this today. I'm actually very thankful we don't do this today. But they hire professional mourners to go and to grieve the loss of their loved one. And you would hire them for up near up to seven days. So, for seven days in front of your house, you would have people crying out loud day and night so that everybody would know that your house experienced a loss. And then on that seventh day or then, uh, depending upon what uh, section of Judaism that they believed, upon a certain day, you would get the dead and you would, you would begin a processional out of the city, marking, kind of walking around so people could see it. But on this day, Jesus is walking in the city as they're coming out. And you read the story with me, so we don't need to recap everything, but they're coming by. Jesus sees this woman. He looks at her, and he says, weep not. Stops the group, the pallbearers. Leans over, says to the boy, I say unto thee, arise. He pops up. Starts talking. I wonder what he said. Like, that's how my brain works. When I read the Bible and it's like, he that was dead set up and begin to speak. I'm like, what do he say? Man, what are you guys doing here? He set up, said, I'm hungry. He set up, said, what did he say? Nonetheless, they take the boy, bring him back to mom. And she who was in a complete state of shock, her son's life is restored. What's the second lesson that we can learn today from these four stories? It's this, that Jesus comforts despair. Hey, Jesus comforts despair. In the story, when he says to the mom, weep not, the word or the phrase, weep not, it it means to not have deep sorrow. Weep not, he was speaking to the state that she was in, this, completely, this complete place of sobbing, this complete place of uncontrollable despair. And of course she was there in this state of heartache, rightly so. And she would lost a child. I know there are, many, there are some in here that you've lost a child, and I know our family with my mom and my brother passing years ago, and then uh, with my brother-in-law's dying recently and all the situation. Uh, man, I just know, I know that hurt of a family member, but not a child. I don't know about that. My family does, but I don't, but some of you do. Man, her grief, her sorrow, her despair, and Jesus says, weep not. He heals the boy, and in this moment, Jesus provided life for the dead and joy for the sorrowful. This one that was dead is now raised to life, and this one who was sorrowful has now brought great joy. When I look at this story, do you know the lesson that I think of is just this simple fact, that Jesus still desires to comfort you in your despair. In your moments of hurting, like, we still serve the God of all comfort. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 said this, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Hey, God is still in the business of comforting those who have despair. So, lesson one, Jesus admires faith. Lesson two, Jesus comforts despair. Now, remember, I told you the statement we're looking at is that God knows where you are, cares where you are, and knows exactly what you need. Keep remembering that. Story number one, Jesus admires faith. Story number two, Jesus comforts despair. Story number three, verse 19. And John, calling unto him, two of his servants sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? When the men were come unto him, they said, John the Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And in that same hour, he, Jesus, he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. This is Luke giving us the context of the day. So as John the Baptist's disciples are coming to ask Jesus, are you the one, Luke is saying, oh, by the way, when they showed up, tons of people have been healed, tons of people have been made right, the blind were given their sight, all these miracles are taking place. So in that moment, Jesus answering says unto them, go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard. How that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached, and blessed is he who ever shall not be offended in me. And when the messengers of John were departed, Jesus, he began to speak to the people concerning John. And Jesus says, what'd you go out to see and uh, uh, go out into the wilderness for to see? A a reed shaken in the wind? What went you out to see? Man clothed in soft raiment, behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. But what did you go to see when you went to hear John? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messengers before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, speaking of John still, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people that heard him, the publicans, justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. John the Baptist, he was a prophet. He was the one prophesied that would be the main preacher before the Messiah would come he would be the one that would say, behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. John the Baptist is the one that he baptized Jesus. He saw the Holy Spirit ascending like a dove upon Jesus, and he heard the voice from heaven saying, behold, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But right now, John's sitting in a jail cell. He's Jesus' cousin. And his question to Jesus are you the one that should come, or do we look for another? We read, we read, we, let's say that multiple times, all right? We read the passage. We know the outcome. We know what's going on. John didn't. So here's my question Why is John sending a question to Jesus of, are you really him? context matters. Here's why. John the Baptist, like most of the Jews, believed that when the Messiah would come, he would set up a new kingdom, that he would relieve the Jews of Roman rule. He believed that when Messiah would come, that he would dispose of the Romans in the territory and kick them out and set up the eternal kingdom. And so now here's John sitting in the jail cell. Here's what John is thinking. You're not working the way I thought you would And the question is a question of doubt. Are you really him? What does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't get on to John. He doesn't send back word. Hey, go tell him to shape up. He doesn't reject the question. Catch what Jesus does. He says, go back and tell John to watch and look at what is taking place and to hear what's being taught. What's the lesson I learn in this quick story of John the Baptist and his doubt? It's this, that Jesus reassures doubt. I wanna help us with something this morning. John the Baptist literally heard the voice of God from heaven. I want you to think about that. How incredible would that be? Like you're somewhere, like... We're at the lake next week, baptism Sunday, and all of a sudden, a voice from heaven, we're all there, cries out and speaks. Question, would you ever forget that? No. Would you, I mean, thinking about that moment, would you walk away from that moment like, man, we got the truth, he's real, like God is real, like this is amazing. That's what John the Baptist had, and yet, what do we find John the Baptist dealing with? Doubt. I wanna help you and me this morning to understand this. No matter who you are in this life, doubts come. Hey, doubts come, struggles come. Why do doubts come? The same reason they came to John the Baptist. Jesus, this is not going the way I thought it should be going. Jesus, this is not working out the way I thought this should be working out. But what did Jesus do? He reassured his doubts. This is why the verse like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on thine own understanding. Thine own understanding is, this is not what I thought. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. Take knowledge of the Lord in all of your ways, and he will direct your path. And the fact is today that Jesus still desires to reassure the doubt of his followers, Maybe you're here this morning and you've been struggling. You've been thinking, man, I just don't know if, it's, if this is all what it's cracked up to be. Can I tell you today that Jesus wants to reassure your doubt? First story, Jesus admires faith. Second story, Jesus comforts despair. Third story, Jesus admires doubt. Fourth story, Jesus begins speaking about John the Baptist, what went you out to see, and he begins that quote and that statement. And he tells them that John the Baptist is a great prophet, There's actually been never a greater prophet born than John the Baptist. Why? Because John the Baptist was the one, the precursor, right before the Messiah. He was preaching one of the best messages. The Messiah is right around the corner. And then Jesus makes a comparison and says, but the least in the kingdom of God is better than John the Baptist. What what is something we can learn from that? The simple thought is salvation is greater than anything in this life. That's a simple thought. But then Jesus continues, verse 30. Jesus says, but the Pharisees and lawyers, they rejected the counsel of God against themselves being not baptized of him. They didn't believe John. And the Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? They are like unto children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, we have piped unto you and you have not danced. We have mourned to you and you have not wept. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and, he, and ye say, he hath a devil. And the son of man is coming, eating and drinking, and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a winebibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of all her children. Verse 30, we get what Jesus is saying when he says the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. Remember, in the entourage of people that would be following Jesus, there were always multiple groups of people. There were real disciples, real followers. There were the skeptics. But then there were also normally Pharisees and lawyers, the religious leaders. So at this moment, he's been speaking about John the Baptist, and he turns to them And basically says, but you Pharisees and you lawyers, you've rejected John's message. And then he uses an illustration. What should I liken you to? What should I compare you to? Oh, I know. I'm going to compare you to children on the playground. That's the illustration he gives. Uh, There's an exciting game. We have piped unto you, but you didn't dance. We invited you to play an exciting game. You didn't play an exciting game. Then we invited you to play a sad game. You didn't play a sad game. He's simply saying, you know what you Pharisees and lawyers are like? You're like pouting children on the playground who are like, hmm, I don't want to play. He says, that's how you're approaching John the Baptist. See, because John came preaching, prophesied, proclaiming, and he lived in the wilderness. He wore different things. And you looked at John the Baptist and you said, he's demon possessed. And then I show up, Jesus speaking, I show up, I'm interacting, I'm going to all the social events, I'm eating, I'm I'm spending time with people. And you say that I'm a glutton and a wine bibber. That means that you say I'm a, a glutton and a drunkard. What's he saying to them? He's just simply calling out to the Pharisees and saying, your unbelief, I'm exposing it right now. I'm letting everybody know that no matter what happens, you are just rejecting truth. So what's the fourth lesson? It's the fact that Jesus exposes unbelief. He says to them, you've had opportunity after opportunity, and yet you still reject the Messiah. <clears throat> well, we started with a statement. Now, Jesus knows where you are, cares where you are, and knows exactly what you need. As we look at these four stories, here's how we see that statement play, play through in every one of them. First, Jesus knew exactly where each individual was. He knew about the faith of the centurion. He knew about the sickness of the servant. He knew about the grieving heart of a mother. He knew about the lifeless child. He knew about uh, John the Baptist and his doubt. He knew about the unbelief of the Pharisees. He knew exactly where each individual was. Secondly, he knew exactly what each individual needed. He knew the centurion needed his faith to become sight. He knew that the mother needed her grief to become joy. He knew that the dead needed its death to become life. He knew that John the Baptist needed his doubt to be reassured. And he knew that the Pharisee needed their unbelief to be exposed. But I want us to notice this and we're done. Jesus met the individual needs through his word. In every single story, the word of God is brought to the forefront. The centurion, I believe, but Jesus, you just need to speak it. The mother, her doubt or her her, uh, despair is turned to comfort through two words, weep not. The lifeless is brought to life by one word, arise. John's doubt is reassured by Jesus saying, Just look at what I'm doing. Listen to what I'm teaching. The unbelief of the Pharisees is exposed by Jesus saying, No matter what is brought before you, you still won't believe. In all of these areas, don't miss it today. Jesus knew where people were, he cared where people were, and he wanted to meet the needs of their life. Now, here's what's gonna happen in your life and my life in 21st century Christianity. I know this to be true because I face it all of the time. This week, the devil's gonna climb up on your shoulder and he's gonna say, you're the only one facing this. You are alone. You don't have anybody. No one gets you. No one understands you. And you will have doubts that come. You will have frustrations and hurts that come this week. But I wanna tell you this morning by way of encouragement that Jesus knows that. He knows where you are. He knows what you need But this week, he wants to meet that need through his word. You see, we say this around church, oftentimes one of the greatest decisions any Christian could make is to commit themselves to the word of God each and every day. Why? Because God will use his word to speak truth into your life. God still wants to meet the despair of your heart. He wants to comfort you through his word. God wants to give you wisdom through his word. God wants to answer doubt through his word. All of his word, his word literally addresses every issue of life. Jesus said in John 5, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but the scriptures are they which speak of me. Hey, it all points to Jesus and his word. It is the answer to any situation we face. But you know what we do often? We only pick it up on Sunday, and through the week we go, God, I just don't understand. God, here you are. God, I I question. God, I God, God, and we just have this mindset of struggle with God, and God saying, I have an answer. I have an answer. I have an answer. So, pastor, what do I do? Hey, what are you struggling with? You struggling with doubt? Research doubt in scripture. Go learn that you're not the only one that doubts. John the Baptist, he's the greatest, Jesus said he's the greatest prophet that ever lived and yet he doubted. Why did Jesus put that in there? Because when we doubt, we go, oh, I'm such a horrible Christian. If I was a real Christian, I wouldn't doubt. Hey, if John the Baptist doubted, you know what that means? I'm gonna probably have some doubts too. But in my doubts, I can learn to trust in the Lord with all, my heart, with all of my heart. No matter what you struggle with, the word of God has an answer. Here's what we like to do to find it though. Okay, God, I'm really struggling with doubt. And then that's not it. There's some wisdom in approaching scripture. There's some wisdom in diving in and getting some understanding, but here's the simple thought today. Jesus knows where you are. He knows what's going on. He cares and he knows exactly what you need. His answer is in his word. So I close with the question, are you allowing Jesus to meet the needs of your heart through his word? Are you allowing him to grow your faith through his word? Are you allowing him to comfort your despair through his word? Are you allowing him to reassure your doubt Through his word.